0: But I'm sure it's going to be fun. Okay, last week I asked you a question. I asked the question, why did Jesus die? Or uh, more precisely, why did they kill Jesus? Why did they kill him? And um, it's not because he claimed to be God. I don't think that's the reason. Uh, It wasn't because he claimed to be the Messiah. There were lots of people that came on the scene in the first century that claimed that. Um, and, And they were just kind of looked at as a little weird, bordering on nutcases from time to time, and they would they would come and fade off the scene and disappear. What was it that Jesus did that was so radically different? And I argued last week that what he did was he began to attack and challenge the core symbols of what it meant to be Jewish. It's no different than if in our culture someone comes along and says, you know that American flag? We don't like it. We're going to burn it and find another one to replace it. We wouldn't feel very comfortable with that, would we? Or if somebody comes along and says, let's change the Constitution so we don't have the right to the freedom of religion, we'd feel a little awkward there, wouldn't we? Uh, Those are some of the core building blocks that make us who we are, that give us identity as Americans. And so Jesus walked on the scene and began to undermine and challenge and attack those symbols of what it meant to be Jewish. The temple, Sabbath, sacrifice, the priesthood. We looked at one in particular, the temple. And so he... um, He just said, you guys got it wrong. The Jewish leadership, the nation, you've got it wrong. And he began to attack and redefine all that. Remember that I said he had announced that a new kingdom, a new day had dawned. And the kingdom of God was now breaking into our world. And we would begin to experience this new kingdom. The excitement began to rise. Everybody began to get excited about it. He challenged the Pharisees to give up their commitment um, to to keeping Gentiles out and, and, and fulfill all the promises that God had given up until that time. Remember, he told Abraham, Through you I will bless the entire world. And so the hopes of the, of the first century believers began to rise, those who could see Jesus for who he really was. And then they killed him. Just like that, he's gone. What a surprise! Uh, We have the disadvantage of knowing the end of the story. What that means is the beginning of the story is often boring to us. But we need to pause for just a second and go back into that first century world and kind of grasp what that meant. What did that mean? If you have your Bibles, I'd like you to turn with me to uh, Psalm 42. Psalm 42 and 43, I'm actually going to read both of those Psalms. Uh, I believe they belong together because the refrain is the same in both psalms. And they tell a story. They tell the story of Israel, of Israel's hopes and dreams. Remember, the nation of Israel had been uh, beaten down many times by pagan nations. And when this is being written, they have been exiled. The, um, they're scattered around the world. I mentioned last week Psalm 42, the famous praise psalm, As a deer pants for the streams of water, so my soul pants for thee, O God. For us, that's a psalm that has to do with I long to worship God. But that's not how the the early Jews understood that. According to Deuteronomy 12, they could only worship together at the temple. That was the only place. So they... They didn't really conceive of this individualized worship concept. To them, worship was what happened when we came together. And if you're scattered around all the nations, if you're exiled, then uh, you can't really do that very well. Deuteronomy 29 and 30 had promised that if they disobeyed the law, God would exile them. He would scatter them, and that's exactly what happened. So they realized, the Jews realized, that God had carried out that promise. And the way they knew that is because the people were scattered around the earth and because God no longer dwelt in the temple. It was a cold, dark place. That's how they knew it. So listen with that context in mind to this Jew who is crying out, crying out to God. As a deer pants for streams of water, so my soul pants for you, O God. My soul thirsts for God, for the living God. When can I go and meet with God? My tears have been my food day and night while people say to me all day long, Where is your God? You ever have that happen to you? Not in so many words, but you tell somebody you're a Christian and the uh, shades, the shutters come down. You feel them internally, mentally step away. Yeah, where's your God? I don't believe that. That's what's happening here. Verse 4, These things I remember as I pour out my soul, how I used to go to the house of God under the protection of the Mighty One with shouts of joy and praise among the festive throng. This was the description of the Israelites climbing the steps. They used to sing the Psalms of Ascent. If you look in your Bible, some of them will be identified as Psalms of Ascent. They would sing these songs, Psalms together as they, as they walked up to the temple to celebrate together as a nation, as a community, the one true living God. And he says, I remember how we used to do that. And then you have the refrain. Verse 5. Why, why, my soul, are you downcast? Why so disturbed within me Put your hope in God, for I will yet praise him, my Savior and my God. My soul is downcast within me, therefore I will remember you from the land of the Jordan, from the heights of Hermon, from Mount Mazar. Deep calls to deep in the roar of your waterfalls. You can just picture the the deep pools of water. This is, I think, an allusion to all of creation is, is crying out, how long, O Lord? Paul says all of the creation longs to be reconciled. Redeemed, So the deep is crying out the deep. All your waves and breakers have swept over me. By day the Lord directs his love. At night his song is with me. A prayer to the God of my life. So here you do have individualized worship. He recognizes God's presence. He just understands that we are no longer allowed to celebrate. That's a sign of God's judgment. We're no longer allowed to be together at the temple. I say to God, my rock, why have you forgotten me? Why must I go about mourning, oppressed by the enemy? My bones suffer mortal agony as my foes taunt me, saying to me all day long, where is your God? Now, you could picture being deported to another land where they obviously thought their God was stronger than your God or you wouldn't be here. Military might was the way you determine which God was stronger. If I beat you up, then my God's stronger than yours. My dad's stronger than your dad. And so these people are taunting them, where is your God? Why, my soul, here's the refrain, are you downcast? Why so disturbed within me? Put your hope in God, for I will yet praise him, my Savior and my God. Psalm 43, it continues. Vindicate me, my God, and plead my cause against an unfaithful nation. Rescue me from those who are deceitful and wicked. You are God, my stronghold. Why have you rejected me? We heard those words on the cross, didn't we? Why must I go about mourning, oppressed by the enemy? Send me your light and your faithful care. Here's the pleading. Here it is. They're longing for this. Send me your light and your faithful care. Let them lead me. Let them bring me to your holy mountain, to the place where you dwell. When that happens, then I will go to the altar of God, to God, my joy and my delight. I will praise you with the lyre, O God, my God. And then the refrain: "Why, my soul, are you downcast? Why so disturbed within me? Put your hope in God, for I will yet praise Him, my Savior and my God." What a surprise! They killed him. How would you feel? It's a complete devastation of the hopes of Israel. I don't think there's any way we can speak too much about this. We can overstate this. How significant it was in the hearts of these early believers when they saw what, who they thought was the Messiah dying on the cross. A shame. A point of shame. Right? Lost all hope. Now, turn with me over to Luke 24. We're going to jump to the end of Luke, and we're going to look at the story which captures this loss of hope. Luke 24 is the uh, famous story of the two disciples after Jesus was resurrected on the road to Emmaus. He connects with them, and we're going to read this story. This reveals the lost hopes of Israel. This is just after the resurrection, and these two disciples uh, are walking on the road, starting in verse 13. Luke 24, verse 13. Now that same day, two of them were going to a village called Emmaus. It's about seven miles from Jerusalem. They were talking with each other about everything that had happened. As they talked and discussed these things with each other, Jesus himself came up and walked with them, but they were kept from recognizing him. Okay, pause. You ever had that feeling like, where's Jesus? You ever had him? You have, have you ever been kept from recognizing him? Apparently, it happens. Here it is. This is not the only time. Let me remind you that he's still there. Just because you can't recognize him doesn't mean he's not there. They were kept from recognizing him. So he asked them, I think kind of tongue-in-cheek, since he obviously knows what's going on, what are you discussing together as you walk along? They, they stood still. They just they came to a halt. And I could just picture these, these two disciples just coming to a halt, And their faces are downcast. One of them named Cleopas asked him, Are you the only visitor to Jerusalem and you do not know the things that have happened? You don't even know what happened? Is there something wrong with you? Are you an idiot? I wonder what they felt later on when they realized who he was. So he just said, What things? What things? About Jesus of Nazareth, they replied, He was a prophet. Powerful in word and deed before God and all the people. The chief priests and our rulers handed him over to be sentenced to death. And they killed him. They crucified him. And here it is. But we had hoped that he was the one who was going to redeem Israel. We had hoped that he was the one who was going to redeem Israel. There it is. Do you feel the lost hope? Do you feel the broken dream? I'm sure you've all been there someplace in life, right? You can just picture these two disciples. We had hoped that he was the one, and they killed him. This is bad news. The crucifixion meant that the exile was continuing. The temple was lights out. The Jews remembered when God's Shekinah glory... Was present in the temple, in the wanderings at the tabernacle. It looked like the uh, pillar of fire by night and the cloud by day. They remember when Solomon dedicated the temple, the glory. They, they sacrificed all those animals, and the glory of the Lord was so powerful they couldn't even enter the temple. They remembered that, and then all of a sudden, the temple is lights out. It's quiet. It's empty. It's just, it's just stones. They knew that God had fulfilled his promise in Deuteronomy to exile them. And so they were scattered around the world, and the temple was dark. It was quiet. How long, O Lord? The crucifixion meant that the exile was still going to continue. Apparently, God had not yet forgiven Israel's sins. Otherwise, he'd be back with us. The pagans were still ruling the world, the Roman Empire. Israel was not delivered, and they were just convinced that when the true Messiah came, all this would change. God would re-inhabit the temple. The lights would be turned on. They would recognize his glory. Uh, they would, he would break the rule of the Roman Empire, and they would once again be restored to a theocracy, the one true nation. That was their belief. Their thirst for God's light and truth, which we read about in Psalm 43, was still not satisfied. It's empty. So do you get the picture how devastating this moment was, the cross? Well, the response of this stranger is to begin to tell the story a little differently. Read with me in verse 25. He said to them, how foolish you are and how slow to believe that all that the prophets have spoken. How slow to believe all the prophets have spoken. Did not the Messiah have to suffer these things and then enter into his glory? And beginning with Moses and all the prophets, he explained to them what was, in, what was said in all the scriptures concerning himself. He starts to tell the story a little differently. The history of Israel was replete with pagan nations abusing them. Their long history was that way. And yet it was precisely through this darkness that God would begin to emerge and would start the process of redeeming them. Israel, a nation, would be narrowed down systematically by God to a remnant, to a few, to one. Now, this is not a joke. God promised Abraham, through your descendants, I will bless the whole world. And to the nation Israel said, if you obey my commands, I will make you a holy nation, a kingdom of priests, my prized possession at the base of Mount Sinai. This is not a joke. How many Jews does it take to fulfill the plan of God? One. So God took this nation And whittled it down to its tiny remnant of scared people with one person. So this little group would pass through the raging waters, but they wouldn't drown. They pass through this fire, but they wouldn't be burned or consumed. Somehow, the um, the saving purposes of God Yahweh, the one true God, would be accomplished through the most intense suffering ever known or experienced. What a surprise! What a surprise. That's not how it's supposed to work. The story, the biblical story, was always about the one true God who would bring salvation to the world through the suffering, specifically the suffering Messiah. Psalm, Isaiah 53, the suffering servant. Psalm 22, my, boy, my bones, I'm so gaunt, my bones are, you can see them. That's how thin I am, hanging on the cross. My God, my God, why have you forsaken me? And the list goes on and on. The story was always about that. Always about that. You know what that means? Israel had been telling and living the wrong story. That's what it means. They've been telling the wrong story, believing the wrong story, living the wrong story. But now, because of what Jesus did, and they just start to grasp it right here, something new begins to emerge. There's a story within the story. There's a subtext. There's the true story about God and the way He wants to save this world. What if the execution of Jesus was actually proof? What if it's proof of the climax of the story of redemption, story of atonement? What if it wasn't about shame at all? That's what Paul argued in Acts 17. God offered up proof. What if the cross was God's actual means of defeating evil once and for all? What if the cross was God's means of bringing His people back into His presence, revealing what genuine truth and light actually look like? The Israelites were telling the wrong story. By the way, at the core of this, what did God have to sacrifice for you and me? What did he have to sacrifice? He made everything. It's no big deal if he sacrificed me. He could just make another one. He sacrificed the only thing he did not create. the son. That's why Jesus is so critical and central to Christian doctrine. What about you? Are you telling the wrong story? It's very popular among evangelicals to... uh, When we want to save somebody, to kind of throw these facts, the principles at them, Jesus Christ died on the cross for your sins, you're a sinner, believe in him. It's all true and wonderful, not denying it. But you'll find if you start talking to the younger generations, they're far more interested in understanding the story than they are these principles. What really happened? Are you telling the wrong story? The Israelites were. Well, so what does Jesus do? He makes himself known through an entirely new symbol. This is what I argued last week. Remember the symbol? Breaking of bread. Celebration of the cup. An entirely new symbol. He completely redefined the story. He told the story in a very different way. It's interesting if you... um, If you remember last week, just before Jesus died, he celebrated Passover with the disciples. Remember I said that last week? So the night before. So this is three days later. He's now resurrected and alive. So on on Thursday night or Friday night, on Thursday night he celebrated with the disciples. Friday night the nation celebrated Passover. That was the seventh meal recorded in Luke. That was the Passover meal. And with that meal, the old creation... Passed away. The chapter was closed. With this meal right here, we're getting ready to read about, an entirely new thing happened. So look with me, we're still in Luke 24, verse 28. As they approached the village to which they were going, Jesus continued on as if he were going further. But they urged him strongly, you notice it says he continued on as if he were going further. I just love the way Jesus operates. I wonder what he's always doing in my life. I'm going to do this because I know Jim's going to do this. (laughs) He just baits them. He lures them into this discussion. So they say, stay with us, for it is nearly evening. The day is almost over. So he went in to stay with them. When he was at the table with them, he took bread, gave thanks, broke it, and began to give it to them. Then their eyes were opened, and they recognized him. The breaking of bread... Caused these people, these two disciples, to see who he really was. He, and then what happened? He disappeared from their sight. Didn't say he left, just say he disappeared. He's gone. They can't see him anymore. They asked each other, were not our hearts burning within us while he talked with us on the road and opened the scriptures to us? They got up at once and they returned to Jerusalem. So with this eighth meal right here in Luke, with Easter, With the resurrection, an entirely new creation has begun. Jesus lifted up the cup. This cup is the new covenant in my blood. The old covenant has passed away. It's gone. So with the meal just before resurrection, he closes the chapter on the old order. He dies. That's what makes it all happen. And with the second meal, he opens up an entirely new world. Within this new world, there is a new awareness of who Jesus is. It's slow, it's dawning, it's growing, and he reveals himself very slowly. And when you look at the history through Acts and all the other books and the history of the church, you see that all these early Christians for a long time scratched their heads saying, who is this guy? We have to completely redefine our view of the Old Testament, the Hebrew Scriptures, and what they said about him. He is the fulfillment of all that the Hebrew Scriptures, the Old Testament, looked forward to. So are you able to share Christ from the Old Testament? That's what he did to the two disciples on the road to Emmaus. Starting with Matthew, I mean, uh, starting with Genesis, the Pentateuch, and going through the Law and the Prophets, he explained how all the scriptures were related to him. I think it's a fantastic exercise to explain the gospel message, the truth about God's love for this world using only the Old Testament. It can be done. And we see glimpses of it. All right, I'm going to go back and read you a verse out of Psalm 43. You keep your fingers in Luke 24 because it's very critical. In Psalm 43, remember he had said in verse 3, Send me your light and your faithful care. Let them, lead me to, let them bring me to the holy mountain, to the place where you dwell. When that happens, when you bring this light to me, then I will go to the altar of God To God, my joy and my delight, I will praise you with lyre, O God, my God. Look at the last verse in Luke twenty four, the last two verses, starting in verse fifty two. Then they worshiped him and returned to Jerusalem with great joy, and they stayed continually at the temple, praising God. This is the fulfillment of Psalm forty three. The true believers in Jesus made their back way back. The two disciples on the road to Emmaus they abandoned Emmaus. They immediately returned to Jerusalem. We got it. We figured it out. We know who the Messiah really is. No one resurrects. We don't know what that means, but it doesn't matter. This is where they were. The life, the life of this early church was at the temple doesn't always end up being that way. We don't go to the temple. Here, don't need to. But what we see here is that God's light and truth has come in the person of Jesus. So the breaking of bread in Luke 24 is where Jesus revealed himself. When he broke bread, they immediately saw who he was. That became symbolic in the early church. That meant something to them. That story propagated. It spread all throughout the church. In Acts 2, if you move over, and we're just talking 50 days later, that's Pentecost in Acts 2. Look at what happens in the church. Acts 2.42. These are the early Christians in Jerusalem. They devoted themselves to the apostles' teaching and the fellowship, to the breaking of bread, and to prayer. The breaking of bread begins to sum up the life of the early church. Everyone was filled with awe at the at the many wonders and signs performed by the apostles, If you look in verse 46, Every day they continued to meet together in the temple courts. They broke bread in their homes. They ate together with glad and sincere hearts, praising God and enjoying the favor of all the people. And the Lord added to their number daily those who were being saved. This is this new community. The kingdom has indeed broken into our world. And it's in the form of us. Jesus indwelling us. The Spirit living within us. And so you picture these people just together. And they're, they're just energies being created, and they're living life together. And every day they're breaking bread because they understood that's how they connected with the Lord Jesus. Now, we have a bad habit in our culture of talking about church in terms of geography. I go to DCC. Right? And that's okay. That tells you where which church you belong to. But what would happen if we started thinking this way? I am church. I am DCC. So, on Sunday mornings, we should celebrate and have a great time. This should be a fantastic time of worship and praise. Last night, I had the privilege of going to Pugs and listening to Zach and the band as he released a new CD. By the way, it's worth uh, getting and listening to. I, I heard I I didn't buy it last night because I didn't bring you money, but I know where you live. <laughs> it was fantastic. And I just looked around, and I, I talked to the ceilings for a little bit, Then I'm talking to Becky, and then I said hello to Darla, and... and And I just sat there and said, this is every bit as much church as what I'm getting ready to do on Sunday morning. People were excited to be together and to listen and to celebrate talent that not all of us have. We all have talent, it's just not in that area. And it was so fun. What happens if we begin to redefine the story and church is not where we go, we are church. This just happens to be a point in time when we get together to worship. Well, the breaking of bread carried particular significance to this early church. It became the symbol that represents the central story of the Bible. Because in this meal right here, you have Passover. God passed over the sins. Through the death of Christ, he fulfilled his promise to Abraham. And he brought along an entirely new kingdom. That's us. And so it's not about throwing principles and verses at people. That's not it. My story is just as so much as part of uh, of his his story as Jesus. I represent the kingdom. So what happens is the breaking of bread becomes a new symbol. The temple, the place where God had promised to dwell with His people, had quietly been replaced by Jesus Himself, and therefore us, because we are the spiritual temple. When he broke the bread, he said, this is my body broken for you. I'm going to create a new body. Who's that? Who? Us. We are the body of Christ. The shed blood. This represents the new covenant. A new way of relating to one another the world has never seen. It involves authenticity. It involves uh, genuineness. It involves transparency. It involves the safety and freedom to fail and make mistakes. They were never allowed to do that. I firmly believe that safe relationships is where we can fail and two things will happen. One, uh, grace will be extended. And two, the lessons that you learn will be worth it. And I, for one, want to be alongside of you when you fail, so I can help. And when I fail, I want you alongside. Well, not only that, but the temple worship is replaced by the breaking of bread in the name of Jesus. And that's what's new about all this. In just a moment, we're going to ask you to come, invite you to come. And celebrate the Lord's table with us. And recognize what this means. Jesus said, every time you do this, you're proclaiming his death. Every time we do this, we proclaim his death. We're not interested in dying. We're not morbid. No, no, no. It's the death that made all this happen. It's the death that retold the story. It's the death that reshaped everything. It's the death that made it all look different. It's the death of Christ where we can see this entirely new story. For what God had intended all along, we just couldn't see it. What a surprise. He killed the Messiah. When we celebrate communion, I'm going to invite you to come up. And I'm going to invite you to come here. We're not going to celebrate it together as a church. Um, so you have the freedom to to stop right there, drink the bread, eat the cup, set your cup here on the table. You have the freedom to come here and kneel and pray if you want and then do it. You can go back to your seat and do it. It's up to you. I would just like to invite you not to come alone. Find someone. If you're with a spouse, bring a spouse, family. If you, uh... <laughs> Oh my dearest friends. Don't be alone. <laughs> yeah, don't be alone. Maybe you see somebody that you don't know very well. Maybe you see somebody that's their first time here. Don't let them be alone. Maybe you have someone sitting here of which you have tension. And you, you, you just wish it wasn't so. Maybe there's a little division. And you just wish it wasn't so. Is there a better time to just say, can we just celebrate communion together? You know, sometimes Nancy and I go down a blind alley and we don't know how we got there relationally. I never, sometimes I can't figure that out. I'm assuming she's wrong. I'm often wrong. (laughs) That's the guy in me and the broken, yeah. And we get there, we get down this blind alley and sometimes we just look at each other and say, how do we get here? I don't even know. Can we just back up and let it go and not try to solve the problem? Maybe there's somebody here that you have conflict with. It's okay to say, can we just celebrate communion together and not even try to figure it out. On the night that he was betrayed, he took the bread and he broke it and said, this is my body broken for you. And then Paul says a little bit later in that passage, and he created an entirely new body. That's us. Then he took the cup after dinner and he said, this is my blood shed for you. In this, you will find the new covenant. An entirely new way of relating. This is the heart of community. And just like in Acts, and just like in Luke, and just like in John, this is where we experience the risen Lord Jesus together in community. So I'm going to invite you to come. You'll find men and women standing up here. We love to pray. We love to talk to you. Feel free to come up, okay? If you need prayer, I love to pray with people. But it doesn't have to be prayer. Maybe God's done something in your life. you just got to tell somebody. Last week right over there, a guy comes up and says, I just found out I'm going to be a grandfather. Praise God. I just found out I'm going to be a grandfather again. So we were celebrating. The woman after him comes up and says, I just, uh, one of my neighbors just died and I'm not sure how to, what to say to the spouse. Can we pray for them? Can you help me? While we were talking, two people were up here kneeling and praying. It's fantastic. Maybe you just have a physical need. You just desperately need help. We can help. Maybe you want to talk about Jesus. Who is this Jesus? Maybe you don't know him. You know what? This may be the only time in your life. i love to talk about Jesus. I'm not ashamed of him. Let's pray and then come up. Father, thank you for this very simple yet very powerful symbol of your son, Jesus, and what he did for us. Jesus, thank you for sacrificing all of it for me. Help us, God, to worship you, celebrate you well. We pray these things in your son's name. Amen. Come in and... As Mark reminded us, next week we'll be at the amphitheater. And... Um, let me invite you this week to pray. Maybe uh, maybe you would enjoy fasting and just thinking through what we'd like the Lord to do. Uh, it'd be fun to see someone who doesn't know him come to know him. It'd be really enjoyable to see perhaps Christians who are confused and maybe disengaged from church reconnect, even if it's not with our church, with another church. I'm okay with that. I just want them in fellowship. Um, and I'm praying that he does something in your own hearts, that it's a rich time for you as you worship the Lord outdoors. I got to enjoy it twice last summer, and I'm really looking forward to it. So um, enjoy. Enjoy this week thinking about the amphitheater and praying for it. It's not just a change in venue. It's an entirely new way of, of reaching out into our community. Now that we've celebrated communion and celebrated community together in the risen Lord Jesus, let me encourage you to go out and uh, celebrate church all week with your friends and people and learn how to tell the story. We're going to talk in the future about how do you tell this incredible story in ways that are a little different than we've told it in the past. My story is part of God's story. And you know what? What I've discovered is almost everybody in the world wants their story to connect and mean something They have some significance. And it is his story. We belong part of it. And because we live and believe in Jesus, it becomes my story as well. So enjoy the week. Go in peace and on your way out, shake hands with somebody and tell them you love them.